one of the most common types of investigations is recovering and locating hidden assets. So if you're a client that has a judgment against somebody or has a fraud case against somebody and you want to discover their assets, finding those assets is usually the first step to recovery. Really good article um, was published in one of the business journals about how that process works and it kind of matches um, some of the things we've talked about before in videos. And just before we get into that, if you have any questions or if you'd like to schedule a video consultation with a licensed investigator, you'll see a link uh, in the video and there'll be a, um, a publication at the end to our video conferencing uh, platform called Teleclient at teleclient.com and you can schedule a live video consultation with a licensed investigator about you know asset searches or other types of investigations. But here's an article that appeared in Business Journal about finding hidden financial accounts in fraud investigations and it gets into some of the basic techniques and this is a very well written article. Start with documents and a master list of all the accounts identified, account profiles, addresses, email addresses. Basically you're starting what we call a wide net. You're casting a wide net to find out whatever information comes up on the first pass of searches and at this point gather everything. This is what we do in a fraud investigation or an asset search. We look at every possible email address, physical address, phone number, name, alias, anything that's a contact information or piece of data. And then what we do is we create what's called a matrix where we load all that up into uh, various uh, databases. It's basically like a complex spreadsheet so we can compare names and addresses across different sources to see what the matching coverages are. And then once you have uh, financial accounts, get electronic statements from the sources. So you're going to get bank statements and you're going to look at dates and times and vendors and uh, maybe ATM locations. It also verifies the integrity of the information, make sure it's correct. And if it's electronic, you can also ingest it into various search and analysis tools. That's what we just talked about with the matrix. If you have electronic data, you can put that into the matrix. Tax returns are another really good information source for financial records. They can identify the existence <clears throat> of different properties, sources of income. So if a tax return has an income from, let's say, as a contractor or an employer or even as a vendor, you'll see that listed on the return and then you can match that up. If a business is uncovered, uh, you can also find articles of incorporation. The articles of incorporation documents in many cases will have other names, whether that's the registered agent, maybe an attorney who put it together, maybe another address. And if you go back through all of the different annual updates, you may find that some of that information changed. If a corporation was formed in 2010, you may find a name and address on that corporation that was later removed for the course for, for the purpose of hiding the identity of people associated with that company. So that's a very important source of information. Investment accounts, a very popular source to transfer funds. A lot of times people will try to hide their money by putting it into an investment account you know, Charles Schwab or one of the other brokerage accounts, they put it into an investment or um, a tax advantage account. And then also look at pay stubs, right? If you can get a hold of pay stubs or pay records, fraudsters or people trying to hide money, a lot of times will try to put the money into different accounts and pay stubs will show where it went. And also if it was changed at a time when the person was getting involved with 
uh, litigation. Mobile payments, look at things like PayPal and Venmo. Venmo. Um, Venmo is really good because you'll see regular payments to other parties and you can use those other parties for sources of uh, information. So if there was a regular payment to somebody, even if it's a small amount, that person may have information about other accounts or other places they receive payment from your debtor. And then depends on the jurisdiction and the, and the laws, you can look for deeds, liens, and other documents that identify ownership of assets. On these deeds and liens, a very common mistake that's uh, made when doing an asset search by amateurs or even licensed investigators that aren't thorough is you just look at the data. There's a lien from this company for this amount on this date. If you really look deep at that document, you may find other information that is helpful. You may find names of parties who signed it. You may find notes in the margin of where to send the document when it's done. And third parties that may be subject for uh, subpoenas that may have other records pertaining to that lien. And also ask them why that lien occurred. You know, was it a bad debt? Was it a late payment? Credit reports, you know, this article talks about credit reports as a valid source. We usually you look at a credit report as a last um, a last ditch effort because usually there's not much there that is helpful for assets. You're not going to find as much there as you will find on the other thing. And then funds tracing is an important step in the process. If you start with a list of people trusted by the debtor, acquaintances, family members, even colleagues, and then you match up account statements to those parties to see if they receive funds, sometimes that's a way that parties will try to hide money by putting it in the name of a trusted colleague. They can put real estate in somebody else's name, vehicles, business interest, even cash accounts in the name of another person so that they think it's not going to show up when you do an asset search on them. But funds tracing is a very good way to discover that. Look at the flow of funds, you know, where assets change from one type of uh, asset such as real estate, into cash, into vehicles, into maybe business investments, even things like prepaid taxes a lot of times will be a way to hide assets. Um, looking at canceled checks is really good because you can see where they were deposited, who's getting the money, if they were cash, is there a signature on the back, if they were signed over to somebody uh, and they cashed them for them is good. ATM withdrawals, the, the most valuable information from ATM withdrawals is not so much the amount, it's more where this happened. If you can see a pattern of activity where somebody was going to an ATM in a different neighborhood in a different city, that may lead to where there may be other assets or other records. So this is a good overview of uh, an asset search process. Usually it's, you know, we put you know 10 to 14 man hours worth of research into a good asset search for bank accounts, real estate, and don't overlook some of the types of assets that may not seem like they're valuable, like intellectual property, websites, email addresses, patents, because in many cases, the debtor will protect those from being seized by paying cash because it's easier to replace cash than it is to replace their business website. So look at some of those other intellectual property sources as possible ways to leverage a settlement or to find assets that may not seem like they have much value to you, but to the debtor, they may be worth protecting. As an asset search provider, 
If you have questions or, like we said before, want to arrange an in-person consultation, you can reach our website, teleclient.com, and it'll have more information about arranging a live video consultation about asset searching, fraud investigations, or any other type of licensed investigative services.